Amen. Well, howdy. Uh, we are so glad you've joined us this morning. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and it is an honor to be with you, especially uh, if you're a parent coming in from out of town. Uh, we know that you had a great weekend and uh, probably a long weekend for many of you, although it was fun, uh, but we're so thankful that you've joined us uh, this morning with Worship in the Word, and, and you've jumped into a great series because we are doing a series on decision-making, and if you want anything as a parent, uh, you want your college student to make wise decisions, good decisions, you're sending them off into an unknown reality of Bryan College Station, and you're like, please, for the love of God, as they're making decisions without my hand alongside of them, please help them to make good decisions. And that's really our desire is to really help your students, help college students make better decisions in their life. And we're in week four of this series. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in James chapter four. I'm going to read a couple of verses for us, pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. James chapter uh, four, starting in verse 13. And it says this. Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a place uh, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that you, um, as you guide our lives, you, you give us wisdom. You give us family. You give us friends. You give us people alongside of us to help us make better decisions in our lives. And Lord, ultimately, our desire is to honor you with the decisions that we make in life. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up this passage of Scripture, as we look at um, the uncertainty of our lives and our plans, I pray that you would help us to see like you see and trust you in the midst of that. So in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we are in the middle of this series called Make a Decision. And what we wanted to do was to give you guys a template, give you a way to think about decision making that would help you make wiser, better decisions along the way. And one of the tools that we want to put in your hands is actually a devotional. So if you go to your Uversion app, you can download this for free, um, uversion.com, and, and you can type in Make a Decision, and it will look something like this. Uh, you can get that uh, that that app and, and get that Bible um, devotional time to help you as you kind of process the decisions that you are making. Enough shameless plugs. Um, and, uh, and this is the big idea of our series. We want you to give you one template to lay over all of your decisions. And it's this, that you would ask it. And the first three weeks that we looked at was, were this, that you would first align your will behind God's will. You would ask yourself the question, am I willing to align my life behind God's will? Week two, we were looking at a second portion of it, and it was this, that you would seek wisdom in your decisions, that you would not go into your decisions on your own, that you would actually get wise counsel as you are considering whatever decision is in front of you. And that's when you parents go, amen. (laughs) 
Third, we looked last week to know, to know our freedom. There is freedom within the will of God to make decisions. You can, you can know that if you follow these steps, you can actually have freedom to say, I can actually make this decision and I can know that I am within the will of God. I can make this decision in freedom. And this week, we are at the I portion, and we're, which is simply this. The statement that's, that James says here and that we're going to lay in front of us is this. If God, if God is where we are in many of our decision-making processes. And it's basically this. We don't know if this decision will play out how we want. But the truth is this. Our lives are made up of the sum total of the decisions we make. The life you live is, ma- is based on the sum total of all the decisions you made. You're at A&M because of the decision to come to Aggie land. That's right. You have an Aggie ring because you decided to come to... Okay, all right, this is it, this is it. These were good decisions, but we create a life based on the sum total of our individual decisions. And my decisions ultimately shape my destination. And we want you to make wise decisions so that you can end up in the place where God most wants you to be. And so in this section, in this section of scripture, James lays out for us, okay, as you walk through this process, can you guarantee success in your decisions? That's really the big question. Can I know that I will be successful if I follow these steps? Well, I would just simply tell you this. There's two major problems as we are making our decisions, and it's this. The big idea is this. There are more ifs in life than guarantees. There are more ifs than guarantees. So I want guarantees in life, and I'm sure you do too. So some of you have moved into a house um, during your college time. Your parents either rented a house, helped you rent a house, or you got in some roommates and you are in a house. And there may be something that you have to do in order to actually make that house livable. One of them would be to have a washer and dryer. And some of your parents have been very generous in that they have paid for you or one of your roommates to buy a washer and dryer and install that into the house. And as you're installing that washer and dryer, what do you want that washer and dryer to do? Work, yeah. Wash clothes would be helpful, and you would want it to work. And in order to solidify that it will actually work, you get a guarantee, a certificate, like some sort of thing that says this will actually work. And if it breaks, there will be someone to come in to fix it. If you own a house, it's the same thing. We built our house about three years ago, and they told us in the first year, if anything breaks, we will fix it. We are guaranteeing these products. It's terrible when that year ends because then they don't fix it. But In that year, if anything breaks, we will guarantee it. But I'll tell you what, most of life doesn't come with guarantees. It comes with more ifs. As you were graduating high school, it was, it was this question, if I go to college, your parents are like, that wasn't an if. Yeah, yeah, but if I go to the college that I want, and now that you're here, the next if is like, if I graduate, and your parents are going, that, that is not an if, okay? When you graduate, I know, but there's, there's a bit of an if in there, if the exams go well, Right? And others, you're, you're at this point in junior, senior year, you're, you're, you're taking MCATs or, or LSATs or some sort of ATs, and, and you're trying to prep for some sort of grad school. And so the next big question is, if I get into grad school, or some of you are, are trying to get waitlisted to get into medical school, and so it's, if I get into medical school, <laughs> apparently that hit really close to home to some of us. <laughs> for others of you, it's, if I can find a job. 
right? And parents, once again, you're like, no, there's no ifs in that. And I say, it's, it's when you find a job. But, but for many of the customers, like, okay, if I get that job, for some of you, it's, then it's uh, if I like that job. Once again, your parents are like, nah, we're not worried about that. Uh, we're worried about you getting a job. If I like the job and if I get married, if I have kids, there's so many ifs that we would like guarantees on. And we would hope that if we go through good planning, all those ifs get mitigated and we get more guarantees. But the truth that James wants us to to land on is this simple reality is that I can control process. I cannot control results. I can control my process of good decision making, but I cannot control the results. And that's what he's addressing at the beginning of this passage. Because there's some businessmen. There's some people that are making wise decisions in terms of business practices, and they're doing what most business people do. In fact, if you're in business school, this is what they're teaching you to do. They're teaching you to make a good plan and make a plan that insulates you from any problems so that you get the results that you most want. And so he literally, I I think James has been listening to these people in the church making these plans, and he tells them this. He says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He says, I I want you to listen to me. And that's why he used that phrase at the beginning of this passage. Come now means listen up. I want you people that are planning to listen to something more because there's a problem with your planning that you need to to realize. And and it's, it's simply this. There's two major problems. And the first one is this. One, you're over assuming. You're over-assuming that you can control the results. Douglas Moo, a commentator, writes it this way. He says, the first century was a period of great commercial activity, and especially in, in Hellenistic cities. But he wants to show them that these men cannot control their future. And what these people do, what, what they're assuming are, are things that I think most of us would, would assume. The first thing that they assume is this, today or tomorrow, that, that t- today or tomorrow will happen the way that they plan. Secondly, they're assuming that I'm going to go. I'm going to travel somewhere. Like I can control getting in my car or getting in my chariot or getting on my feet and, and going to this place. Secondly, they have the audacity to say that they're going to spend an amount of time there. Thirdly, that, or fourthly, that they're actually going to trade. And fifthly, that they're actually going to make a profit. He says, these people are over-assuming that they can do certain actions and get certain results. But I'll tell you what, we all do this. In fact, this whole series has been about how to walk through that process well and so that you can get better results in your planning. But James says, I want you to pump the brakes on that. You may actually be over-assuming what you can do and what you can control. The truth is this, we can't control the future. And everything you, every decision you make doesn't guarantee a results. Graduating from A&M won't produce A, won't produce the perfect life B in Dallas. Like, there's not a guarantee there. Yes, there is, Kevin. I, 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 I'm sorry, there's not. If you ask her out, it doesn't guarantee that she will go on a date with you, right? Decision A doesn't guarantee decision B. If I get my agri ring or diploma, that's decision A. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the job that you want. If I pick a certain major, it doesn't mean that you'll have a good income. You can't guarantee these results. And the truth is, what James is trying to tell you is this. You need to wait and slow down as you're making decisions. You may be first over-assuming. But the second mistake you'll be making is this. You may be over-representing yourself. 
He says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And those two words, boasting and arrogance, what James is saying is this, that you, you first boast, meaning you're speaking loudly. You're, you're, you're assuming that, that you can control these results, and so you're speaking with confidence. And he says all such boasting is arrogance, meaning you're posturing. You, you are an imposter. You are pretentious in assuming that certain results can happen. We have a phrase for this uh, that all new graduates will absorb and try to implement in their new job, and it's this. Fake it till you make it. It means I don't have the skills, but I'm going to pretend I have the skills. And so you're going to go into that interview, and they're like, do you know these computer programs? And you're like, no, I don't. Yes, I know every one of those computer programs. Hey, have you ever led people in this way? No, I've never led people in that way. Yes, I've led people in that way. And what we do is we, we posture ourselves so that we can get the results we want. We, we're posers. He says, these men that are making these decisions that they're going to go to this place and get this profit, what they're actually doing is posing. And I used to do this as a little kid when I was about six years old when it came to skateboarding. So I asked my parents, I begged them, give me a skateboard, I need it. And so the skateboard wasn't enough. What I needed next was the gear. And so at the time, it was Vans, right? So Vans shoes, Vans shorts, Vans shirt. And, and so you would get the board, you would get the gear, and then you'd go outside. And I saw all my cool skater friends with their hair, like, you know, over their eyes, you know. And I get out there, and I'm like, I'm like okay, I got it, I got it. And, and so you just start by just sitting on your board and watching other guys, like, go up a ramp, you know. I'm like, oh, y'all are awesome, you know. And like, Kevin, give it a try. And I'm like, oh, no, dude, I'll, later, later, I'll do it later. And eventually, as you're sitting there long enough, they're like, okay, like, you've got the gear, man. Are you going to get in the game? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I go my way up to the ramp, and I see the ramp there, and I'm going to go off the ramp. It's going to be amazing. I mean, I've got the gear, right? And I go up, and I just bail. The board goes that way. I go this way. I fall, and I'm like, I don't have this. Faking it doesn't work. And what James is trying to tell us is this, when you assume that certain reactions will guarantee certain results, what's happening is this, you're posing. One commentator writes it this way, no allowance is made for the unforeseen circumstances. These businessmen are confident that they'll be able to carry out their plans to completion. And so James points out the fallacy. You can't control results. And there's really two things that are going to happen with this. If you make plans independent from God. There's going to be two results. One is you're going to get it. You're going to get the job, get the girl, get the car, get the house, and it's going to be amazing. You're going to get everything, and you're going to find, why do I even need God? Or secondly, you're not going to get it. You're going to chase those dreams, chase that ladder, and nothing's going to pan out, and then you're going to blame God. And either way in your life, you're living in practical atheism. Meaning, God has no part of my plans. I just want results. And if God can enhance the results, that's sweet. And if he can't, I'll take it or leave it. And what you're doing is you're living as a practical atheist. The great Martin Luther King Jr. says this. He says, the most dangerous type of atheism is not theoretical atheism, but practical atheism. That's the most dangerous type in the world. Even the church is filled with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. 
And there's always a danger that we will make it appear externally that we believe in God when we internally don't. We say with our mouths that we believe in him, but we live with our lives like he never existed. This is the ever-present danger confronting religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. So James wants to warn us against this this type of, of life where we make these plans independent from God, and whether we get what we want or we don't, the danger is that we assume that we have control over things that we don't. He says, instead of living that way, I want to give you a different perspective. I want you to see life under God. I want you to see every decision as a God-based decision because that primary consideration of what God is doing in the world is more important than every decision that you make because God can be leading you in a direction. He says, I want you to play this paradigm over your life, and it's this, if the Lord, that you would believe in the Lord, that the Lord is guiding your circumstances, that you would have that perspective over your life. And I say that, and some of you have an immediate resistance. You're like, okay, Kevin. You want me to live if God? And some of you parents, you're frustrated with that. You're like, wait a minute, if God? You want me to live that out? How do I actually live out that phrase, if God is leading my life? Because some of you think that that's a passive idea. That it means passively, like, well, if God wills me to get up today, he will give energy to my feet, and I will work my way to the store. If, if God wills, I will study. If, if the Lord makes me, something will happen. But, but throughout Scripture, living if the Lord wills is never a passive venture. It's always active. In fact, you see this in the life of Jesus when he says this. Sorry, this clicker is not working, gentlemen. John, it says this. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I am living under the will of God. And this is not a passive venture. This is extremely active. Paul says this similarly in 1 Corinthians 4. He says this, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant by by their own power. He says this, I'm going to come to you, Corinthians, and I'm going to learn from this if God wills. And I'm not passively seeing if God would actually do anything. I am actively pursuing the will of God. Acts 18.21 says it this way. But taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again. This is Paul speaking again. If God wills, and he sailed to Ephesus. Look, Look at the action that Paul has. He's like, I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to Ephesus. I've got business there. I've got people to to minister to there. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to come back if God wills. And so this is all part of my planning, and I'm not passive in this. I'm very active in living under the will of God. And that's the action that James is calling us to. Not a passive resignation to the events of life, but actively living in and under the will of God, believing that God is guiding my life. And that is a very active position. And so I want to give you one acronym. This has been an acronym series. I'm going to give you one acronym to encapsulate James's instruction to us. And it's the acronym RISE. That we would rise to the will of God. We wouldn't be passive participants, that literally we would rise. James 4.14 says it this way. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The first step in rising to the will of God means this, that we reality check our decisions. The first step we take is that we reality check our decisions. 
There's a book I've been reading, and it's called Decisive by, by two men named Chip and Dan Heath. One of them is a professor at Stanford University, the other is a professor at Duke University. And, and, and they are talking about people that are making decisions, and their desire is to help people make better decisions in their life. And they say this. One of their acronyms that they use is, is they use the acronym RAP, and the second word in RAP is this, that you would reality check your decisions. And they talk about businessmen, business leaders, and some of the mistakes that they make. And one of the mistakes that businessmen make, business leaders make, men and women, um, is that they, they assume that they've got to have results year over year. And one of the quickest ways to get results year after year to make their, uh, their income climb, the company's income climb, is they acquire other companies. And the, in acquiring other companies, the expense paid is astronomically higher than, than what the company is usually worth, upwards of 41% of the actual cost of the company. And what that means is this, that one CEO is saying of that CEO over there, I can run your company 141% better than you can. Like, I believe that I can run it that much better than you can. And so two business professors, a guy named Matthew Hayward and Donald Hembrick, um, say this. Why do CEOs keep making pricey acquisitions that rarely pay off? The answer they suspected may have more to do with human flaws than financial miscalculations. They theorize that acquiring CEOs are being led astray by their, by their own hubris. Meaning, I have control and my reality is real. Hayward and Hamburg also discovered the antidote to hubris, disagreement. They found that if CEOs paid lower acquisition, they paid lower acquisition premiums if they actually had more people around them challenging their thinking. And they actually made better decisions in terms of other companies. Unfortunately, they found that these independent viewpoints were not always pleasant. But they talk about one CEO who who applied this in his life. It was Alfred Salone, the longtime CEO of General Motors. And he says this, he had, there was a meeting that they were talking about. And in the meeting, it says everyone was in, in agreement. And then Alfred Salone stopped and said, gentlemen, I take it that we're all in complete agreement here. And they're all like, yes, we are. He says, I propose we postpone until further discussion on this matter, until the next meeting to give ourselves time to develop disagreement and perhaps gain some understanding. It's about what this decision is about. And what James is trying to do in our life is for us to face reality, to face disagreement. You can't control your future. You need to insert reality into your decisions. And here's the reality you've got to insert. You can't control tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Proverbs 27.1 says this, don't boast about tomorrow. For you don't know what a day will bring forth. You can't control what will happen. You don't know if you'll wake up in the morning, you'll step out the door, and for some of you college students that are single, you'll meet the one. For others of you, you'll get hit by a bus. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what your career will bring. This, this was fascinating to me. I, I, I read this, um, this study from the U.S. Bureau and Census. This is the share of college graduates working in a job requiring college degree. 61% of people uh, do not work, or 62.1% of people do not work in a field post-graduation that requires their college degree. 
And over a longer period of time, it says this, only 27.3% of people that graduate with a college degree match with a career in that field. So only a quarter of you will actually work in a field for longer than five years that actually corresponds with your degree that you have. You're like, Kevin, don't tell me this. What I am trying to tell you is this. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And you need reality to set in. I can't control tomorrow. And that should be not merely something that destroys you. It should be just a reality that you hold. As you are thinking about the will of God, if God, no, I can't control tomorrow. I've got to reality check my decisions. Corey Tinboom says this, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. It means I need to hold my plans lightly because I don't know what tomorrow will bring. But secondly, it means this, that I need to internalize my limits. Verse 14, James asking this question. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He says, your life is a mist. Meaning, it's like vapor. It's like smoke. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. Your life is is like a mist. It appears for a moment. You can see it a little bit if the light is right, but then it just dissipates. It vanishes away. And James is saying, the length of your life is limited and the control of your life is limited. Psalm 39.5 says it this way, Behold, you have made my days but a few handbreadths and my life is as nothing before you. Psalm 144 says it this way, Man is like a breath and his days are like a passing shadow. 1 Peter 1 says it this way, all flesh is like grass and the glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers and the grass fades. He says, look, you don't control your life. And if you look at all of your life, it's but a mist. It appears for a moment and vanishes quickly. And the reason we need to absorb that is this. My decisions are not ultimately under my control. I can't guarantee the results. And we've all seen this if we just look at LeBron James. Now, I love LeBron James as a basketball player. And I've followed his career pretty closely ever since the time he was in Cleveland and moved to Miami. And he did that. There was like a big celebration of like, hey, we're going to go to Miami. I'm going to be with Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. It's going to be amazing. And once I get there, we're not going to have one championship, not two championships, not three, not four. Okay, okay. You know, and like they're all excited about how many championships they're going to win in Miami. And after they go to the final several times and only come away with two, LeBron had a reality check. Oh my gosh. I can't control this as much as I thought. And then he goes over to, to Cleveland and, and tries to win there. And he goes to LA this past season and they don't even make the playoffs, which was extremely surprising. But LeBron had to come to this realization, as we all need to come to, is that I have limits of the length of my life, of the quality of my life, and I ultimately can't control the results. And I need to realize that as I'm making decisions. And thirdly, James tells us to set our lives in God's hands. Instead of assuming you can control the results, you realize, number three, that I need to set my life in the Lord's hands. Verse 15 says it this way. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It means I set my life 
in God's hands. I actively say, Lord, the results are up to you. And God, often in his nice way, has used pain to show me how fragile my life is. So this summer we went to the beach. We spent time in Galveston. It was amazing. And I was out there in the water playing with my kids. I've got four young kids, an eight-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, a five-year-old son, and a two-year-old daughter. We're out there, and it's so fun. And we're out jumping waves in the ocean. And it, it comes to like you know that early morning moment where the kids are like crazy. They've just eaten a bunch of cinnamon rolls. So they're like, we need to get out our energy. And so we go out to the beach, and, and I go out there in the water with them, and I start jumping waves. I just pull my knees up, and I'm like, ha-ha, we're jumping. And like the third jump, I'm like, oh, no back injury. And so like the kids are still playing. I'm like, no, this is, this is not good. This is not good. So I sit down for a moment and I go up to the room where my, my, my family is, my, my parents are. And I, I lay on the couch and I'm like, what's the matter, Kevin? I'm like, I don't know. I pulled something on my back, which I've never done anything like this before. So I'm there with like an ice pack and icy hot. And I have to drive home. And, and what I didn't realize is I thought, okay, maybe this will be a couple weeks and then everything will go better. And a month later, it's still, the pain is still there. Two months later, the pain is still there. I went and saw um, some chiropractors and some folks, and, and, and the injury is still not fully healed. And even today, as I get up in the morning, it's still kind of just sore. And I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, you, you got to learn how to stretch a lot. Because you're approaching 40, Kevin, and uh, uh, your, your life... Um, you, you, you hit the upper part, and, and now, like, your life's in God's hands, right? Like, you, <laughs> this is the reality, and, and, and what God is saying is, look, I, I, you can't control tomorrow, and you've got to set your life in my hands, and, and, and that can be a terrifying thing for many of us when it comes to our plans, because you're like, I want this future, I want this grad school, I want this job, I want this, and I, I really want it, and we're clutching, and we're clutching, and we're clutching, and God's saying, look, You can't control that. The Lord determines whether you live and what you do. The Lord determines the length of your days and what you can do during those days. So you set your life in my hands and, and fourthly, you believe that if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. The Lord determines what you will do during your days. See, God in many ways in my life has shown me this reality always through pain. Literally physical injury. Whether it's an injury I do in the middle of jumping waves. In college, it was an injury that I had when I thought my future was in track and field. So I ran track and field in college. I loved it. It was so much fun and, and competed at some really high levels and, and competed in the Olympic trials back in 04, back in the day. And I had fought. I made plans in my life to, to make sure that this was my future, that I was going to be a runner and compete at this level. I'd even won some money that summer. And so there was, there was some reason to think that this could be a future for me. In fact, I even postponed my wedding later because I'm like, if I'm going to train, I'm going to do these things, like I can't get married because I'm going to be doing this. And like, so we, I'm literally making every decision based on this future. And it was almost like God crescendoed my time to that Olympic trials where I got engaged. My whole family was there. Everything was great. And it was almost when God went, and that's the last time. 
because I never had a race since then. And every now and then people ask me, like, Kevin, do you still run? And I'm like, not with this body. Because God said, I crescendoed you to that, but I have a different due for your life. And I want your life to be lived in a completely different direction. I know you wanted to train and do those things, but I want you to preach the gospel to people. And those two could go together, but for you, they're going to be separate. And in order to do that, I need all of your energy and focus there. And that can be very challenging for some of you to face. God, I have this future, but you're wanting to take it out of my hands. You're wanting me to live if the Lord, meaning you determine whether I live and what I do. Can I live open-handed? Parents, God's pressing that on you. You've done a great job raising your kids. They're at the best university in the nation. They're a part of this community growing in their love of Jesus. That deserves a whoop. Come on. You've done a great job. And you have been guiding them well. But there's a point with every parent they have to say, I'm moving from controlling your life to empowering you into the hands of of a greater father. I'm leading from guiding your life to entrusting your life to the hands of another father who's going to have to carry you for the rest of your life. And it is a challenging reality to fit into. But if you embrace the hands of a loving father, it can actually give you empowerment and joy in this life. Proverbs 69 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In my mind, I plan my course, but ultimately God's hands are in control. And let me tell you about this father's hands. He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to redirect your life in ways that you don't want it to go, but it's in the hands of a loving father. And God has done this with people's lives through all of history. John Calvin, the great reformer. He was living in France, preaching, started this great movement of God and and oppression and opposition came and so he had to flee to Geneva and he hated Geneva. I don't know why it's Geneva. It just sounds cool, but he's like, I don't want to be there and and he tries to go back to France, goes to Strasbourg. He can't live there and the the leaders of Geneva are saying, come back to Geneva and he's like, oh, I have to go live in Geneva. I'm like, once again, I don't understand what John Calvin's problem was, but he goes to Geneva. It's like, God, why do I have to live here? And it's in that time of Geneva that he hones some of his best thinking that helps the Christian world and continues to speak toward the Reformation, helping people love God. And he didn't want to go where God had him go, but God needed him to go there so that he could accomplish something greater. I don't know what God has in your future. I want you to make wise plans. I want you to walk through and make good decisions along the way. But as you get to the end of this road to say, all right, Lord, this is what I think. I think it's grad school. I think it's Dallas. I think it's China. I don't know where you're going next. But when you get to that moment, you would let God speak into it. And you would hold that decision with open hands. And you would not get destroyed if every one of your plans don't come to the fruition you want. But she would say, you know what? If I don't get this, I'm going to trust God that he has something better for me. Amen? If I don't get into this grad school, 
I'm going to believe that God has something better for me. If I don't get this spouse, I'm going to believe God has something else better for me. It may not be better, it's just better for me. It may not be better financially, but it's just going to be better for me. It may not be better numerically, but it's going to be better for me. And I can trust the hands of a loving father who who loved me so much he gave his best for me. You see, this whole process is supposed to understand that God loves us so much he gave us the best he had, Jesus Christ. You see, we've all, like, like, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And God took Jesus, his son, and said, I'm going to lay all the iniquity, all the pain, all the sin of the world on him. And there's a reason for that. Not that you would just feel guilty your whole life. There is an element of guilt we need to feel, but not that you would live there your whole life. That he would receive your guilt and sin, forgiving you, and then now you can live a new life under God, following his will. And his will is better. I'm not saying it's financially better, and I'm not saying it's numerically better. I'm not saying you live in a better city. But I am saying this, his will is better for you than living outside of it. And so as you're walking through your decisions, we get to the end and we say, if the Lord wills, God, I trust you with my next step. We pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much that you... You call us first to yourself. That you love us. You are a loving father who cares deeply for us. And Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us loving parents to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to help us stand when we fall. I thank you so much for the the hours of energy and time that each parent has poured into each child here. And Lord, I also pray that these parents would would entrust their sons and daughters to the hands of the loving Father. And God, that we would entrust ourselves to the hands of you, Jesus Christ, who lived the life we could not, deserve, we could not live, who died the death we deserve to die, and empowers us to live a life under your will. So Lord, I know we are all facing decisions in front of us and we wish we could control the results. I pray that we might see that you love us too much to leave us as we are. That you will guide our next steps and that we can trust you. It's in your name we pray.